All right, this is Art House. We got another episode today. We got a great guest, Jack Butcher, who created, in my opinion, the most unique and also, you know, it's in the name, the most valuable product in the past year of this, you know, online business, social media explosion that we've been experiencing the past 15 years. The man, Jack Butcher, he's a entrepreneur, he's a writer, he's a business philosopher of sorts and he's uh, he's made a you know he's made great strides building a company from the ground up and on this cast i want to learn a little bit more about jack butcher behind visualized value and also sort of the process that you know got this uh got this great company up and running and making a hundred grand a month so jack how are you doing today man Good, mate. Thank you for having me on. Pleasure to be here. So let's take it back to, you know, a couple of years ago. Let's say like three or four years ago, right? Pre-visualized mm -hmm. value. What were you doing? What was kind of your, you know, what was your mojo? What was your modus operandi? So I was like classically trained as a graphic designer back, graduated school 2010, just for some background. And then moved uh, from the UK to New York on a, you know, off a Craigslist classified ad for a design internship and stuck in New York for eight years, bouncing around different jobs, had maybe eight to 10 jobs, different agencies, um, design studios, worked in-house for a couple of tech firms. I worked at Bloomberg for a little while. And I was about eight or nine years into my agency career. And then, you know, I had that realization i'd gotten to i think a point within those businesses where i was exposed to the economics of the work and then when i saw like you know, the input that i was contributing and you know the the net income for the agency i was like oh, i could probably do some of this myself you know i could slice off a piece of this and offer that independently and probably make a better living than i'm making right now and to some extent, that was like a bit of an arrogant perspective because obviously there was infrastructure that was surrounding me that was making right. that possible. But I just dove into it. I had like a fortunate connection with a, a friend of mine who worked at an agency uh, a couple of jobs before that had just uh, got an inquiry from a client. They're like, we can't pay this. And he's like, well, one of my friends is just starting an agency. So maybe I'll make an intro to him. So I got connected with a... Uh, decent sized brand early on, pitched them, won some work, and then kind of got the agency train rolling. So that was 2017, re reasonably successful agency, and uh, just kind of ran into that uh, that typical paradigm of the only way to scale that is to hire more people or to like refine the work mix to the point where you're doing the same thing over and over again. Um, so about six months into that, I was like, something's kind of got to give here. So we either like hire people and go the direction of like getting office space and making this big thing and you know essentially making the business more like, less and less efficient by scaling it just like hiring people yeah uh, so decided not to do that and thought very specifically how can this was before any kind of product vision emerged it was like how mm -hmm. can we refine the service side of the business to be way less uh just way less tumultuous, way less lumpy revenue, way less like master this thing, then master this other thing and hire this type of person freelance. So 
uh, it was just a case of sort of looking back at all of those different experiences I've had over the past eight to 10 years of you know, working in an agency, working in a product shop, working in a financial firm, and trying to figure out what I was like more specifically interested in and was, you know, would be useful, valuable output for a client. And mm. I kind of honed in on this idea of the work that was done before the work was sold. So in those bigger agencies, uh, one of my roles was like building pitch decks, visualizing like strategies to sell work. Mm. It was all like before the purchase happened before the agreement was made between agency and client. And uh, that like that insight, I think was that came after, like as I was running the agency independently that we're still doing that. And that was always like the highest leverage thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So you go in, you present this document and they're like, yeah, okay, we'll sign the check. I was like, hang on, we're not actually getting paid for that bit, which is the most valuable and unique part. Yeah. So visualized value is essentially like was born as a service to do that. Mm. So how can we help businesses articulate these complex systems that are underlying the way they do their work or how we help think about the market differently? Could be an internal document, could be like a pitch deck for a startup that has a really proprietary way of doing things. We work with a supply chain firm that is obviously like mega complex logistical uh, you know, mm -hmm. systems yeah. that have to fit together in certain ways. So you took something that was just mostly an internal document that most people don't really get to see. It's just kind of like a business to business thing. And you brought that mm -hmm. concept out to the business to consumer world, but in, more, in a more, uh, you know, valuable and universal packaging. Yeah. So, so that's the, the way it kind of became a consumer facing brand was, you know, I, I had a few people in my network that had seen, um, had seen the like B2B execution of it. And they immediately were like, okay, I could hire you to do this for my business. But then, you know, after doing three or four of those, it's like these case studies aren't really going to resonate with most people, right? Nobody gives a shit about like the visualized version of a supply chain thing, or at least very few people do. So how can you take an idea that's like universally interesting or useful, apply that same treatment and like, you know, attract the or communicate the fact that you can take an idea and make it visual, add additional context to it. And then it kind of educates people on both sides. So if you're a business looking for something visualized, you get value from that and you approach us as a client partner. If you're just, you know, a person who is like in pursuit of these ideas, then you kind mm -hmm. of add that to your intellectual arsenal as well. So yeah, that's where it kind of forked off. And that's where the opportunity for like a consumer line of products came in as that started to gain traction socially. Do you remember the first day that you made like the very first visualized value post? Like, do, do, you, do you remember the, the post or? Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did like t maybe 15 or 20 of them in one go. So oh, okay. it was, um, yeah, it was like, uh, it was, there's actually a piece of the story missing. So I was working on another business with a friend that was, um, a podcasting, uh, like a content content engine for podcasters. So we'd take like an hour of audio and turn that into graphics, written articles, like 
produce podcasts, etc. So basically like a production studio for podcasters. Mm-hmm. And I just like there was this this uh, I guess this idea that came from that where how can you like take an idea that somebody's articulated verbally and make it visual? And I was like, this feels like a business on its own. You know, like this this little idea could be its own business. Right. And uh, I thought uh, I was kind of di- had this reading list and all these notes on my computer, and I was like, I should just like this was uh, before I was using Twitter even personally. Mm-hmm. It's like these people are on Twitter, all of these notes that I've taken and all of these like great thinkers and people that I've articulated that these ideas are already on Twitter. So why don't I try and throw a few of these on Twitter and see if they pick them up? And I can't remember the exact mix of the ones I did. I know there was some uh, Taleb stuff in there, some Naval stuff in the first round. And after maybe a couple of weeks, I think I got one or two retweets from a couple of those guys and then. The rest is history, as they say. That was really the the uh, inflection point, I think, of it taking off on the consumer side. Yeah. See, I I, I think I found you through a couple of retweets on Twitter, and then I f- followed you on Instagram and whatnot, and then started cross posting, getting all that. Do you think the Twitter medium helped visualize value kind of get off the ground because of the shorter character limit, and you're able to just it was they were already pre condensed thoughts. Yeah. That you're able to just at a visual too? I think that, I think, yeah, one, on the input side, it definitely helps. And two, I think the network effects uh, of Twitter are so much more powerful than other platforms, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, like the, 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 the DM feature, it, it's technically, it's a bit wonky, but like the fact I can just message a CEO and have him respond to me in like 10 minutes. Bananas. Yeah. It, it really is insane. And there's none of that, uh, highfalutin snobbery that you get with LinkedIn where everyone expects mm-hmm. you to have the job and the profile picture and saying the right things. And then just having this like weird feeling out period where you're trying to be like, how, you know, now how's the weather? How's the weather, Paul? Like that type of stuff. Yeah. You, you can just go in and be like, Hey man, how, what font is your book? And he's like, Oh, yeah. this. Yeah. 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 Cool, thanks. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like, it is this weird realization of like, well, I now have access. I just need something to say. Right. The, yes. the, the uh, you no longer have the, the excuse that you don't have access to these people, and even a platform like LinkedIn, I think you have to pay to message certain people, or you have to get connected to them before you can say something or whatever else. Yeah, yeah you don't even need to direct message anyone on Twitter if you make something valuable and put it out there. Yeah, they'll it. reach out. They'll reach out. Yeah, to you. yeah I remember like two years, two and a half years ago now. I just made like some Virgin and Chad memes, and I just. Yeah. And you know, it was for like Twitter personalities and like people, like big guys, like 300k followers, just DM me, like, so you're the guy making the Chad memes. Can I get one? And I was like, yeah, cool, sure. Yeah. It's it's yeah, just it's crazy. It's crazy how it could just explode like that. So you know, you're starting to make the uh, you're starting to make the content. You're starting to get the uh, the stuff together. But I remember that graph that you showed or that Excel sheet that you publicly shared. You weren't making very much money at all for a little bit and no. past past three or four months, that's when it really started to kick up and get, get, get interesting. Yeah. So the first maybe six months or so, it was purely like a, you know, a new business engine for the consulting side. So mm. brought in plenty of people that wanted to work one-on-one and like have 
cost of design work done mm. to articulate whatever it was they were selling. And so it was definitely generating interest and helping the agency stay afloat and get more focused on the type of work it was doing. Uh, but the product side of things really was like, it was so experimental back then. I think we sold like a $9 PDF and, um, and, a, and community access came with that PDF. So it's kind of like getting to know people and trying to understand what the people that this content was resonating with had in common. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the six month like experiment there. And I can't claim to have some like master plan or vision that was occurring over that those six months. It was just like trying stuff and yeah. seeing what stuck and uh, just talking to people that were using it and seeing, um, seeing what they were getting out of it. So we had this, it was called the day manifest, which is a, a one page template for managing time and organizing tasks and things of that nature. So what that did, I think in hindsight, this is total hindsight is uh, brought together a bunch of people that were using the same tool and then you're able to like layer a community on top of that tool. And you have people that have this thing in common already. Mm -hmm. And then that thing created this, you know, there's enough, uh, common ground to build upon and turn that into a more you know active and um a more active community and add product on top of that and learn in real time from the people that are involved yeah one thing you said that was interesting in that is you were when you first started using visualized value you weren't really using it as a product in itself you were using it kind of as a funnel to your mm -hmm. consulting and your other thing and i think a lot of people starting out new stuff they don't they don't they don't they don't use that principle to a full effect. They they start a new thing and they think it has to make all the money on its own. And you know, right. obviously, like you said, you're a graphic designer. So what's 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 visualized value distilled? It's just graphic design. So mm -hmm. people will, want, will go and want to come to you for graphic design. But if you don't put yourself out there, if, if you're just your brand and that's it, there's nothing, then you're missing out on a lot of money, a lot of connections, a lot of things that you know you wouldn't normally make. Yeah, and I think the other interesting thing, again, hindsight, but the opportunities you get on the service side and the people you meet and the like longer-term engagements that you, um, you know, put effort into, they increase the value of the products that you make. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to build an audience and sell product without that like hands-on or like without kind of continuing to perfect the craft and put it into the market and see how it actually works, then, you know, in, at least in the education space, the product is going to suffer as a result of not having like real market experience, like mm -hmm. distilled into it. So I think that's been helpful in increasing the value of the products themselves as well. Was there, was there, a mo was there like a certain feature that you added or a certain, you know, uh, service that you started doing that really took off visualized value or was it more just kind of the the rolling stone gathers moss effect and just you slowly started to add more stuff and overall momentum picked up and now just everything's just working great definitely there's definitely like the momentum and i think with um with twitter in particular like the network effect like as it gets bigger and bigger like you could you almost can take your foot off the gas and see the same amount of growth. Mm -hmm. so there's something interesting about like, I think honestly, this is a critique of myself. Like if I kept the momentum from day one and we're still at like four, five, six graphic outputs a day as I was back then, I think, you know, 
this it would be growing at a way faster pace than it is right now but um once you get like you kind of get to a critical mass i guess and like take the foot off the gas and try and perfect the products and spend time in the community and figure out like whether what you're doing is scalable as opposed to just going all out yeah you know, just blasting it every day yeah um there, there's kind of that that maxim in this twitter sphere of just constant big action constant go you gotta right. go forward for and yeah that's really good when you're starting but there's i i feel that when you when you hit a point which is like okay this is objective success right this is objective mm -hmm. it's working and whatnot that's the time for you to take a tiny bit off and just go okay let me let me reassess what was going on let's let's add a new direction let's maybe let's add some more people let me just step away for a bit and go hang out with family and friends for a sec and then recharge and then come back and then you'll go more because, uh, you know, plateauing is a real thing. I've, I've found yeah. plateauing is a real yeah, thing. Yeah. You definitely got to like keep dialing it in and the other, like this, it's, it gives you an incredible opportunity, but you can also like trap yourself in making promises that uh, like the couple of products that we launched this year, I announced the launch before the products were finished. You know? And while that's a like while that's a great strategy for getting like buy-in and validating the product, the amount of like pressure and stress that creates, you don't really want to be that that doesn't you don't want that to be the strategy over the mega long term, right? No, it's just no. like not sustainable. Yeah. And now you kind of can revisit those products. And the way I've thought about it is you know, it's kind of V1 of those products and they can keep being iterated upon. And because there's like, because the sort of philosophy contained in those products is what I'm using to grow the brands at the same time, you know, the products evolve alongside the work I'm doing on the front end. But rather than have like 15 products, you just have two that are always improving and mm -hmm. what you're talking about on the front end is always driving traffic and getting people interested in those products i can't imagine having a like yeah 15 16 products like it just feels like too crazy to manage yeah imagine amazon <laughs> yeah no, no, thanks. yeah i mean i i've noticed that with with sort of the uh sort of the smaller brands it's that it's it's the qual. It's definitely the quality over the quantity. It's that one, two, maybe three. You know, you have your your core products, and you just focus on making those absolutely amazing. And then you just you put all your energy into that. You don't focus on trying to make new iterations for them and yeah, add yeah. complexity yeah. and whatnot. It's just about simplification. Yeah, it's easy to get. It's easy to kind of ignore what's already working, and you know, just end up like trying something for the sake of trying something and you know you've you've really got plenty of runway left to make the thing that was already working better mm -hmm. as opposed to switching runways every time so it's been an interesting i mean it's obviously a totally different business than a um client service business and there's still an element of that that we do but um learning a ton every day about making better products did you so i mean from from the story you told me it didn't seem like there was any massive failures or massive like you know company destroying happenings that happen but were, were there any bumps or any pitfalls that you guys encounter that you had to adjust for yeah i think mostly on the personal side more than the business side like um there was i had a conversation with my wife i guess probably a year, probably maybe 18 months two years ago 
where it was like, are we really entrepreneurs? You know, like, are we really like geared for this thing? And this was in the middle of the like agency business where I was just like, man, I can't seem to figure out how to uh, like, how to disconnect this effort and income thing. Like, I just know that like my energy physically is slowly declining just as a result of biology and mm -hmm. the demands being placed on me in the, as a result of the the type of business I'm building are increasing. So at some point this is just going to snap. Mm -hmm. So um, I think there's just a few moments along the journey where I've been like, if I don't change the model, if I don't adjust this thing, then I'm better off going back to where I was in, mm -hmm. you know, a cushy corporate job with a nice expense account and, you know, showing up to meetings and, uh, you know, delivering the pitch and getting out of there. But the, uh, yeah, I think the biggest things have been like, changing the changing like the paradigm of the business model and as I, I think another thing is like getting used to the difference between you know having two or three like clients that sustain your entire business and having a thousand clients that sustain your entire business so that's a very right. different setup and you have to you know someone can't get into this thing so someone in singapore couldn't access this thing in the middle of the night you have like a different set of responsibilities than a client that you know um, you have meetings with on a weekly basis or whatever else. So it's yeah, just the getting used to the change in models and the change in how you interact with your customers has been probably some of the hardest work and the biggest like uh, you know bumps that we fit. Extrapolating out kind of what you said right there. What, you know, you talked about earlier, initially you're doing more business to business stuff. And then now you the visualize values business to consumer more. Obviously, like the consultations mm -hmm. can be business owners, but for the most part, business to consumer. What's kind of the, what, what are some key differences in terms of how you have to approach the selling process between B2C and B2B? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, at least at the two price points, like the B2B stuff where, um, where we were selling initially is all, you know, phone consultation, multiple follow-ups and much more uh, hand-holding throughout the process. And in the B2C model, like having to learn how to, you know, write product copy that stands alone is something that I you know, spent some time trying to figure out how do you... Uh, there's a much more specific conversation to be had with a uh, a business owner that's hiring you hiring you for one-on-one -on -one work that you know and you're right copy for a product that applies to like a more broad audience so i think definitely learning how to position products like as standalone uh as standalone um, solutions is something that's like a different mentality i think when you're selling services and you're like starting a relationship as a consultant you're kind of like yeah we'll figure it out as we go this is our objective but we're going to be going back and forth and we're going to work on this thing in real time versus i've explained it completely you buy it and it's job done and i think that like not only on the sales side but even on the product side right? having to think through you know, if someone, if I can't be contacted in the middle of this thing, or, you know, this is going to be going out to hundreds, if not thousands of people, how can you ensure that you get every detail in there that needs to be in there for them to experience the thing that you're promising that they're going to experience? So I think that idea of 
thinking through every scenario and testing products uh, where you're not going to be on the phone or there in person to make adjustments on the fly has been one of the biggest adjustments. But like as a process, like has made the the service work more sustainable as a result, right? You can take some of that practice into how you sell services too. Now for our, for our listeners and they're wondering, wow, I want to do this. I want to do something similar to, to what Jack's doing. You know, um, maybe they don't have graphic design skills. Maybe they do. What are some mm-hmm. things that you can tell them for, you know, entrepreneurship, starting their own uh, business to consumer brand? That's, that's not really a, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not really an e-commerce gig. Mm. It's more, it's a, what, what, how would you describe it? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, um, I think there's like, at its core, it's like a media company. Mm-hmm. There's like, a, you know, it has a very specific focus on one, like the execution of it is consistent aesthetically. And I think two, like the type of ideas, there's definitely a point of view. There's definitely, you know, the things that are put through this filter are chosen for a reason. Um, I think that for somebody in a position where you you have like specific skills or you have, uh, and I, is, I always try and think about this from the perspective of like, am I biased because I have, um, you know, design as a tool in my skill set, right? So I think, there's definitely an advantage to being able to create something that people can point at and, you know, see that mm-hmm. feels like, you know, as a, as a would be client, that's something that I can buy. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that gives you a massive advantage. Uh, I think the, one of the most powerful things that I did in the early stages is add that very specific constraint. So the black and white image, for example, and this, that, idea i think applies beyond the treatment or the medium that you're working in so if you can find a restraint that as you execute it kind of it it kind of gives it builds reputation for you right you have this consistent format that you produce in whether you're a video editor whether you're a writer whether you're an engineer like mm-hmm. you can produce within this very specific constraint that people start to recognize you for so if you're you know maybe it's a 10 second version of a podcast that you produce as a video editor or maybe it's you know some engineering principle that you summarize in you know a certain format of text and you use a specific like real world example versus you know uh there's another a good example this is the instagram account it's like it's like fuck your design knowledge or something like that. And then it's like, it's like every post is like, it's like do fucking work or like, or like be fucking brave. Right. And then you swipe right. And then there's a little like funny, you know, motivational thing on it. But every format is like that. Every post is like that. Yeah. I think that's, I think that definitely had, that definitely helped create traction and it definitely, uh, sort of productize your output too, right? Like if you're able to create something consistently, especially if you're a creative, people are hiring you for that. So brands are looking for partners that can help them create consistently or put something out there that's recognizable. And if you're doing that for yourself, you're demonstrating that you have that 
ability to a would-be client. So I think that's one part of it. The other part, I think, going back to the initial part of the conversation is on networks like Twitter, you have this ability to do things for people without permission. So this mm -hmm. was this idea is in the last product that we built. It's called the permissionless apprenticeship. It's essentially like you know, whatever you would want to do as a service, you can, instead of putting all your energy into marketing what you would make and how, you know, what types of people you would do it for, just do the thing, mm -hmm. put it out there, and that becomes the marketing. So I think you, people that don't have a design background or didn't go to a, it didn't go through a process of having to publish their work in order to get a job. Like that's that's my background. I think that's where I got my, um, where a lot of this subconsciously came from. Your design portfolio is how you get a job. I've never been asked to show my degree in my entire career. I have a graphic design degree. I don't think I don't think I've even seen it. Never Same even video. For it. I'm a videographer. Yeah. And they don't ask where'd you go to college. Just show me yeah. what you do. <laughs> Nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit. Like what credentials you have, especially in that world. It's like. What's, what's what's your body of work and if you can prove that you've got the job or we'll give you an opportunity whatever else so i think that idea of so many people get stuck even if they do have the ability to do something in trying to create demand without doing the thing and it's a really weird like paradox like you're having these conversations with people like trust me i can do it i can do it and there's so much more energy goes into that side of the discussion mm -hmm. than you know, you just doing a project or reducing something that um, you don't need permission to do, put it out there. One of the best yeah. examples of this really early on in my career is like, I think one of the first designs of Facebook, I saw this, there's a, there's a design, um, a website called Behance, which is a set, you're probably familiar with it, which is like designers put yeah. their portfolio up on their pro. Someone's like, I'm redesigning Facebook. I think I know a better way to design Facebook. And you know, you don't have to ask Mark Zuckerberg for permission to do that. You just crack open Photoshop or whatever it was back then and make it, post it online. Two weeks later, the kids got a job at Facebook. So like you're in this environment, you have like these incredible network effects. You can get into somebody's inbox, you could tag them, and you could just produce things. And if they're, you know, if they are interesting enough that opportunity will come your way and if they're not interesting enough then you got more work to do right yeah well i mean one of the things that i i do is if i just see a client and i kind of want to work with them for video production i will just put a if they already have a video clip on their twitter and it's just like it's you know it's shaky and they don't they don't right. use it i just take it i'll just rip it out and i just put put my template over it and i just send it to them and say hey if you want to do more of this hit me up or Perfect I just, example, yeah. you know, if they don't have anything at all, I just send them the template. I just put some stock footage in there and I think like, hey, you know, that could be you in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's, uh, it's a strange thing that most people avoid that part of the process, but it completely removes all the friction. It's the difference between like waiting for demand to come to you and creating demand. Mm -hmm. That's just a simple paradigm shift for people to think about it. And I don't think it is. I don't think it is exclusive to, you know, visual creatives. It's anybody, right? If you're a writer, if you're an engineer, if you're anything, you just you can just put stuff out there and and people will find it and and yeah, if they need that skill set to grow, then they'll pay you. Yeah, man. That's how we do it. Jack, do you have anything you have to say before we have to close out this cast? No, it was a great conversation. I appreciate you having me on. Um yeah, it was great. 
Awesome. Guys, this is Jack Butcher. You can check him out at Visualize Value and at Jack Butcher, both on Twitter. And check out the website. What's the website URL? VisualizeValue.com. VisualizeValue.com. That's right. Um, yeah, man. Great cast. I've, I've learned a lot. That that idea of constraint, I'm going to actually get to the drawing board right now and start thinking up some stuff for for Tiger Productions or not Tiger Productions anymore. It's not Tiger Productions. It's now just TigerJoseph.com. So All right. if all of you, uh, if all of you guys, uh, you know, like this cast and you really enjoyed it, please consider donating. I got the, uh, the Gummer link in my Twitter, you know, just quick donation helps, uh, helps me power this cast. I put all the money right back into it to add new content ideas, put more space into the, uh, you know, time and time and effort into the website and stuff like that. So, if you really like this cast and you enjoy the value that it brings to you, please consider donating. This has been Art House with Jack Butcher, and we hope to see you guys very soon.